Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me again today. The internet is so much a part of our lives these days, and many users are concerned, rightfully so, that their ability to express their views and communicate freely and do business are eroding and will continue to do so. So is all lost? Is this the trajectory we have to be headed on? Well, my guest today is a Christian man who is working to create as free an internet as possible. His name might not be familiar to you, but rest assured you have encountered his influence. Robert Monster is the founder and CEO of Epic and managing director of Monster Venture Partners. Rob has over two decades of experience in technology-enabled services to the global market research industry. Prior to that, Rob worked with Procter & Gamble in a global capacity taking him throughout Europe, Asia, North America, and Latin America. He is a Dutch American, fluent in three languages, English, Dutch, and German. He has both a Bachelor of Science and an MBA from Cornell University. And on top of that, he's also an author, a husband, and a father. Rob Monster came to my attention when I asked Calcedon Vice President Martin Salbretti for suggestions for people I should interview for this podcast. He sent me to a video of a lecture Rob Monster gave a couple of years ago at the Future of Christendom Conference entitled Tech Communications, Answering the Call in a Digital Age. Rob, I am honored and so grateful that you agreed to this interview. Well, Andrea, I'm happy to join you. Thank you for hosting. In that video I referenced, you discussed how you came to hear and answer the call of Almighty God on your life. I think that's a good place to start. Well, absolutely. Um, I certainly didn't grow up uh, with a particularly strong uh, faith or, or um, foundation of um, spiritual understanding. Uh, I was raised in a household that you would characterize probably as atheist, although my mother's mother uh, was a Bible-believing Christian and oftentimes uh, could be seen in the evening uh, reading scripture. So um, really, I didn't have the advantage, as many of your listeners have, of growing up in a Christian household that came rather organically. And I have to say, that I was rather late uh, in coming to Christ. Uh, really, uh, when I was, uh, the year I turned 40 uh, was the year that uh, really I began to question uh, why the world works the way that it was um, and um, was led uh, through a process of trying to understand many facets without really any party bias, so to speak. Uh, but ultimately, uh, after a lengthy and filling, uh, as I said, two libraries uh, with books of all types, uh, came to the certain conclusion uh, that Satan is real and Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not only should conclude that Satan is real, but Jesus Christ is Lord, but that because God is all-knowing and all-powerful, I should rest in his finished work and surrender my body as a vessel to be used for his purpose. And that was on February 5th, 2014. And I haven't looked back since. 
Well, praise God for that. Now, you mentioned that you had a lot of years growing up and in your adult life prior to what we would typically call your conversion. But you were a successful man before that, were you not? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I was an extremely industrious kid um, uh, as, a, as a child, being uh, the only uh, uh, male grandchild. And, uh, and, and my, mother's, uh, my, my mother's father had no sons. He had three daughters and he ran a family farm in Northern Holland, a commercial farm that had been in the family for many generations. Uh, and so already as a young child, starting around age six or seven, I was sent every year um, to work the entire summer um, on the farm in the Netherlands. And I would work alongside uh, people who were between 18 and 25, uh, you know, farm workers. And I would do my very level best to keep up with them and make just as much money as they would make. Uh, and so um, at a very young age was, uh, you know, kind of mature beyond my years from an industriousness standpoint. I wouldn't give it uh, the characterization of being wisdom, but I was certainly industrious. Uh, and that carried on throughout my whole life. Uh, I've always been an industrious guy, uh, uh, always a little bit uh, on the serious side um, and trying to get more done in a day than should be reasonably possible <laughs> and not being too easily daunted. Right. Now, what's very interesting is there are some ways that people will look at anyone's life and try to disregard everything that happened prior to their coming to know the Lord in the way you described. But once you understand that our days have been ordained from before we were even conceived, we realize that God puts certain traits in us, certain interests, certain capabilities that is the preparation for what he will do with us and as a result how we can serve his kingdom so were you dissatisfied before you started investigating all this because you weren't making enough money or you didn't have good relationships with people what was the impetus to say i don't really know what this is all about well um really what it came down to for me uh was um a realization that uh, some aspects of the world were not exactly uh, as advertised. And without going too far down the rabbit hole, I simply uh, be believed that some aspects of what we were taught in school and what we were being taught in the media were not an entirely accurate characterization or maybe were not the complete picture. And so rather than uh, saying uh, definitively, here's the right answer, from a zero-based perspective, uh, began to try to figure out what was the truth. And ironically, uh, as part of that journey, also became studied in matters of, 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 of occult and, and Freemasonry and witchcraft and whatever, right? All types of things that were basically what you might characterize as forbidden fruit, um, really from the perspective of trying to understand these things that are not um, uh, generally open, uh, in the public discourse, uh, and ultimately, it came to the I came to the conclusion that Satan is real, but Jesus Christ is Lord. But it really was a process, mm -hmm. and uh, part of one of the things uh, that I believe you will uh, discover as an overarching thread of of the journey that brings us to present day uh, is the recognition that it's very hard to know the truth if you have only half the pieces of the puzzle and you don't know which half. <laughs> and so, I believe it is essential. Uh, that it that it become 
the prerogative of mankind uh, and womankind to give humanity the opportunity to know the truth and to ask questions and seek answers and have a reasonable level of uh, confidence and strength of conviction that you found the truth. And of course, you can then uh, through, let's say, from a spiritual perspective, validate the truth by seeing the power of transformation uh, to see uh, the impact of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on somebody being transformed and regenerate uh, from a prior state. But there are still many aspects uh, of, of, as you know, manifestation of uh, spiritual power uh, through through prayer and, and all manner of intercessory presence uh, in the throne room of heaven. And we get to see that uh, throughout our walk as um, Christians who have sold out to the kingdom. And for many people who are in a more early stage of their walk, uh, could not even begin to appreciate that these things are even possible. Well, to kind of validate my point, you were an industrious person, you were inquisitive, you wanted to learn. And when you encountered this question, you sort of continued with the the, the kind of inclination you had. So I guess that was my point, that rather than split anybody's life into just two sections, although we could before we know Christ and afterwards, that we look at the fact that God's plan supersedes what we can comprehend. And so through all that investigation, you could have gone a lot of different ways, but you went to the um, conclusion that not only were you seeking the truth, but that the truth is a person, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Uh, and that the truth is essential to the point of being the meaning of life. I would go so far as to say that the meaning of life is very simple. And that is to know the identity of the creator and to know what it is that he wants. Uh, and that there's nothing more noble or more worthwhile or foundational as to the reason we get 70 to 80 years on this earth with functioning cognition mm -hmm. uh, to be able to go answer those essential questions. So you answered these questions, or I would say, if you're like most of us, you're still answering the questions that come up, but you know where to go for the answers. Um, you would think that that kind of epiphany and transformation would make everybody feel very good about you, except if anybody does a little bit of research, there are those who love you and there are those who malign you. Why do you think you got the maligning part so drastically? Well, I think that the base reason is that um, we are empowering uh, competing narratives um, as, as a technology provider uh, that has stood in the gap. Um, I believe that I have answered a calling. Um, that calling really came in earnest in the summer of eight, uh, uh, summer of 2018, uh, where I believe that I had an unction, possibly from the throne room of heaven, uh, seems to be, uh, that the Lord would need a registrar. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, um, but I followed the prompt uh, and uh, heeded the call that the technology that we had developed and, and had assembled through organic development and acquisition over the previous several years, uh, that that technology would play some essential role uh, in empowering people uh, to uh, publish truth, uh, disseminate truth, uh, and discuss the truth. Uh, and there are people who find that troubling uh, because they want to control the narrative. And to the extent that technology on a very large scale, internationally speaking, uh, 
touches billions of people, allowing them to consider what they've been told and weigh it against what they now believe, uh, this can be a rather disruptive force vis-a-vis -vis a status quo that is steeped in ignorance, right? So that's where I think I have uh, perturbed certain people, some of whom have significant influence and power over media, over big tech, over communications. Um, and um, unfortunately, uh, it's very hard uh, to control the narrative uh, when somebody determines that it is essential to destroy a person's character. We'll get to that, but I, I want to make sure that there are people who are not lost with what is a registrar? You know, wh what? why was that so significant that you might have some very powerful and wealthy people dislike you so much? Um, well, so a registrar uh, is essentially a utility provider that allows somebody with a domain name, a web presence, uh, to be connected to the internet. So think of it as essentially uh, um, the, the, the core function uh, for anybody who wants to be sovereign on the internet is that they will own a domain name. And that domain name then can be connected to hosting, to email. You can set up uh, web applications, mobile applications. But if you don't have a registrar, then you're not on the internet. And uh, there are only a few hundred registrars uh, that are retail oriented. Uh, the biggest one by far is GoDaddy with more than 60% of the market, a de facto monopolist. Um, and then there are very few that are technically competent. Uh, and I would argue that Epic has built the most complete registrar platform that the industry has ever seen. Uh, even though we're smaller than GoDaddy, we were voted the 2020 registrar of the year uh, by the leading forum uh, that uh, monitors the domain industry. And we continue to accrue wins uh, despite not having taken significant capital from anybody and, and not taking any capital from Silicon Valley. Okay. So why would the average Joe encounter your influence? Because I stated that at the beginning. So maybe two years ago, people would not have even understood the term deplatforming, but it's happening quite a lot now. So how does what you do combat this deplatforming? Well, I think that um, the, the reason why people are beginning to become aware that this is a phenomena uh, and something that is a topic of concern is because of what we've just endured uh, in the last uh, election cycle where there was overt evidence of big tech bias interfering with the ability for certain messages to be heard and things like deplatforming, unpersoning, demonetization all became kind of part of the popular vernacular in describing the technical strategies that were being used uh, to control narratives. Um, most recently in January of 2021, uh, earlier this month, uh, there was a high-profile deplatforming of uh, Parler.com and AR15.com. Uh, Parler was deplatformed by Amazon AWS, and AR15.com, the leading um, portal for uh, gun enthusiasts in America, was deplatformed by GoDaddy. Well, both of those uh, uh, companies moved all of their domains uh, immediately to Epic, not necessarily because they were solicited by us, they were not, uh, but because we are viewed in the industry as being uh, one of the few, if not the only, uh, that has demonstrated the consistent willingness 
to hold the line on due process. And that started way back in 2018 uh, when we became uh, the registrar of GAB.com, which went through a similar uh, experience and then many other uh, groups have uh, since joined us. And so you would recognize a number of those uh, different brands that have all converged in one way, shape or form uh, towards Epic as registrar or host or both. Gab is one, Infowars, CloudHub, uh, all of Dan Bongino's sites, uh, uh, Steve Bannon's sites, uh, uh, those names are all coming to Epic or, have a, or are in the process of coming to Epic. But uh, the list of organizations that you would recognize uh, that have converged on Epic are significant. And what is happening uh, in January 2021 um, is also an acceleration of Christian-oriented content uh, like Blue Letter Bible uh, moving their assets. And the list goes on in terms of uh, significant uh, Christian ministry organizations and Christian publisher uh, operations that have a significant dependence in a time of COVID uh, on their digital presence. And so the idea that their ability to um, serve their audiences and be able uh, to participate in dialogue or to even re receive funds from, from a donation perspective, um, all of those things are dependent on having a resilient digital presence. And we have had the last two and a half years um, to refine our competency in building resilient digital presence. And without going too far into the minutia, uh, I can tell you categorically that we have assembled the most complete technical solution for allowing someone to be resiliently connected to the internet. And that makes us a threat to the extent that anybody questions our discernment as to who do we route and who do we not route. Right. Um, like I said, when I you do a little bit of research, you're immediately thrown in as a white supremacist, neo-Nazi, blah, blah, blah. But really and truly, your whole platform or your whole orientation is to allow people to speak freely without having to deal with fact checkers and media censors. Well, um, that's partly true. Uh, I do believe that there is a balance between draconian censorship and uh, responsible moderation. Uh, okay. There are sites that we have opted not to route. Uh, uh, famously, uh, HN and Daily Stormer are two sites that we didn't choose to route because we believed that they lacked discernment in terms of allowing certain content that was hateful to uh, allow to stay on the internet and be used to propagate hate. Uh, and I would say to you uh, that uh, because I have the opportunity to interact with so many of the different people who are participating in various competing narratives, I also have the opportunity to get to know their hearts and to what extent uh, they are uh, on a path of human empowerment uh, where they ultimately intend to edify their audience but also to identify those who maybe are not regenerate uh, and are not beyond redemption, right? Because ultimately, who are we to judge? If we look back at history, Saul of Tarsus was one mean guy. I would characterize him as, you know, assassin number one of the Pharisees. And yet he became Paul the apostle. So how could we go so far as to judge that even somebody who is vile uh, is beyond redemption? And I'll, I'll give you an example from just this past week. We had a client, uh, a client uh, who was in the process of selling uh, some, some domain names. And um, I, 
I know from one of our staff who did some due diligence on this person that this person actually had the criminal record. Um, and should we cancel his order? And it was about, a, I don't know, $85,000 transaction. And I said, well, let me look. And then, then I said, well, let's, let's, let's hold out for the possibility that we're appealing to this man's higher self and that he is um, getting out of this business because he intends to be something different. Uh, and uh, sure enough, that's exactly what was uncovered. This was a person who probably uh, had the opportunity to go one direction or the other and has uh, chosen to become a new uh, a participant, you know, be reintegrated into civil society and to part ways with his past. Um, and had we not taken that extra moment to consider the possibility that this person is on a journey uh, and that they are leaving some uh, past history, uh, that person might have been stuck um, in, in the mire of a past that was holding them back from being the person that God envisioned for them. And I see that over and over again. Well, that brings me to really what the subject matter was of your talk at that conference. It was all about answering God's call. Now, when God called you to be a registrar, obviously there are implications of that. Um, it has to do with some of the things you just described in having the freedom and opportunity to look beyond somebody's what somebody looks like on paper. But would you mind explaining a little bit more about how you feel called into this arena and how you might hope that other people would listen for God's call in this arena? Well, I think the very first verse that the Lord led me to uh, when I came to Christ and fully grasped uh, what it meant uh, to rest in his finished work and to um, part from self-righteousness, um, having spent several years as a would-be Messianic Jew trying to maintain the mitzvot, right? I mean, really, um, I don't regret having spent time studying those things, but ultimately uh, the ability to, to move on from that. And, and that verse was uh, Daniel 12, 4. Uh, In the times of the end, many shall go to and fro, and knowledge will increase. And this idea that says that in this, shall we say, in time, uh, there is a dramatic acceleration in the ability to ask questions and seek answers uh, on a level that we've not seen before and I believe is about to accelerate to such a degree that it will be stunning, uh, that in fact we will have digital revival on a worldwide scale that will touch billions, including people who are currently not even connected to the internet, but will be very soon. And that in many ways, um, the Great Commission will be fulfilled uh, to, to, a, to an accelerated extent by virtue of technology that will empower people to ask questions and seek answers, to find community, and to break down walls. Uh, there will be churches without walls. And in fact, I would characterize COVID as not a curse, but a blessing because it caused the walls to come down. And obviously Romans 8.28 tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we will almost certainly look at this episode that we are currently enduring uh, through eternal eyes and recognize this pestilence or whatever it happens to be to have been a catalyst for accelerated review of one's spiritual state on, on a very significant scale 
that is in fact accelerating as we go into 2021. So you sound pretty hopeful. I started off by saying there are a lot of people who are saying, oh, we're going to lose all our liberties. We're going to lose all our freedoms. You know, this is hopeless. There's no way that this is a good scenario unless they think that they're not going to have to face it and live in it and work through it. But you sound hopeful that even people who don't even have electricity or internet right now, that you're talking about having them hear the truth in a way that nobody ever could have imagined. Absolutely. Uh, I have absolute conviction that God is on the throne, that he is for us, uh, that we have the opportunity to fulfill his purpose, that we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. And I have seen so much evidence in my own life of answered prayer and being able to overcome what many would characterize as insurmountable odds. Uh, I, have, I have lived what it means uh, to to operate with a with a with a mindset of manna uh, that we don't need to basically uh, be thinking for tomorrow uh, that we, we uh, place our works in into God's care that He does order our steps um, and that the promises uh, that we see in the Bible are also um, the 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 corollary to God's expectations right. God sets expectations and he makes promises. You meet his expectations and he fulfills his promises. Um, and the idea that we can uh, approach the throne room uh, with all manner of care uh, and know that those problems will to, to a very great degree be remedied, maybe not in our preferred method, maybe not in our preferred order, uh, but in a way that glorifies him. And I have seen it time and time and time again. It is absolutely mind-blowing to me why anybody would not completely surrender to God's purpose uh, based on what I have experienced in my own walk. But you referenced that you've had to go through some difficulties. And in the lecture that I heard you give, you talked about how your immediate family and your extended family and how the attacks came and some blows were received. Do you mind sharing about that? Well, um, you know, I, I have I've seen a lot of uh, that, uh, not so much me personally, uh, although some people would say that the media coverage was very hostile towards me and whatever. But I, I would say that when you make a decision uh, that you care more about uh, what God thinks of you than what man thinks of you and, and are willing to basically approach the task through the lens of eternal eyes, uh, that it becomes a whole lot easier uh, to endure uh, the commentary and back chatter of uh, a group of skeptics who don't necessarily share the same vision that, that I have. Uh, but I believe if they too had the opportunity to look at what we're doing through eternal eyes, they would probably agree with us. Uh, and in fact, I believe that from a um, doctrine standpoint, um, and I think that there is sufficient scriptural support for this uh, that I can that I can say it. Uh, you know, why is it that it is a blessing uh, uh, to to deal with people who curse you, right? Why would that be? Like, what would what would explain that? Uh, what aspect of of soul ties or or quantum entanglement or whatever you want to call it uh, would explain that it would be a blessing that somebody would hate you wrongly or judge you wrongly? And I, I believe that ultimately 
you know, by by the very nature of, of God's uh, universal design, that it creates the license uh, to to pray and intercede for those individuals who wrongly characterize uh, or who speak um, uh, in, in judgmental language about who is epic and who is rock monster. And so uh, I have seen uh, hearts change. I have seen people recant wrong statements. Uh, and I think that that uh, pattern will ultimately be accelerated. And, you know, if you look back at some of the um, people who have played a role in, in evangelical transformation through history, uh, uh, Dr. David Livingstone is a, is a, a, a model that I have studied and I, I'm fascinated by his in, you know, tr intrepid work on the African continent, uh, but for you know, quite some time, uh, more than a decade, um, he was persona non grata in, in, his, in his home country of England, uh, and he had to forsake a great deal. Uh, ultimately, though, we look back on him as being this you know, phenomenal, uh, really uh, um, uh, remarkable uh, individual who achieved much and even was responsible for the eradication of much of the African slave trade and the degree to which Africa is to this day substantially uh, a Christian continent, uh, we can almost certainly, uh, to a large degree, lay at his feet. Uh, but along the way, he had to endure a great deal of persecution, uh, and God uh, allowed him to endure all of it. So I think we have the benefit of uh, 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 the prior example of uh, many who have walked uh, the hard road uh, to, to look at and to um, uh, learn from for the purposes of our own persecution and our own set of challenges in modern times. We have it relatively good, if you would look at it from the perspective of the United States and Western Europe. Uh, we're really not suffering too much, uh, you know, other than maybe social rebuke. Right. You know, Christianity is unique in as much as we're commanded, not suggested, not likely to be a good idea. You're commanded to pray for those who persecute you. Absolutely. And you know what's interesting? If you've lived a very comfortable life, um, what is that? The person who cut you off or took your parking space. Um, sometimes I think God turns up the heat so that his people will recognize exactly where they have prioritized incorrectly. So having the opportunity to witness to those who persecute you is exactly what grew the church. You know, they say that the blood of the martyrs grew the church. Well, a martyr is a test, one who gives testimony. And I think that's the that's the thing that we should gravitate towards in as much as this is an opportunity for us to share the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I do it fearlessly. Um, um, I do it uh, through my Twitter, uh, uh, username Rob Monster. Um, I do it uh, through our, uh, inter our interaction. There are some days where I'll talk to 30 or 40 clients in a day. Uh, and I will encourage our own staff, um, uh, if they have the unction, to take a break uh, from their work and go find their prayer closet and pray for the individual they just encountered. Uh, we, we encourage and invite people, if they feel the unction, to, to say, God bless you uh, at the end of a call. Uh, you know, that's all allowed, right? And, and we don't set an expectation one way or the other. We simply invite people uh, to, to recognize that, you know, we are... Um, 
all on a spiritual journey and uh, to a large extent uh, many people are not uh, presented in in these times with the type of interactions that can in fact be a catalyzing event in their own transformation and there's a lot of pain and suffering out there and so if we can be salt and light uh, and treat our entire industry and all the customers that we serve directly and indirectly as a sort of mission field then just as Paul as a tent maker or uh, Christ as a, as a carpenter uh, or Luke as a physician, you know, we can view our respective industry as a sort of mission field. And it just so happens that when you're in the business of empowering the internet, you get to do it on a much larger scale uh, with uh, many more second order and third order effects than one could have had 2000 years ago. You talked about having stepping out in faith and, and receiving the slings and arrows, but it wasn't just against you. I know your wife had issues um, that she had to deal with. And it's always difficult when one member of a spousal partnership comes to faith. Was she reluctant? To, how did she react to the change in you? Well, uh, she grew up in a Christian household. Um, uh, her um, uh, father's father uh, was a minister. Uh, um, and they had 12 children, and uh, they heard sermons twice a day. So uh, it wasn't like I was on a path of not being equally yoked, uh, but I will say that uh, I made a decision and make a decision every day um, to repudiate all works and all possessions, body, soul, spirit, mind, and leave it all at the altar, recognizing that God is a greater steward of all of these things, than I will ever be. And that mindset of forsaking the world uh, is not necessarily the common practice of your typical Christian. And it isn't really uh, the, the practice of, of most of the people that, that are in my family. But I lead by example. Uh, and I hope that uh, it inspires others, including people in my own family. And to a large extent, uh, I believe that uh, they're all on a journey and that there's remarkable transformations happening. Uh, some of it uh, uh, is um, carrot and some of it is stick uh, and, and the Lord chastens those he loves. And so, for example, as I mentioned in my the video that you referenced at the start of the call, um, my wife actually had a terrible fall and it was um, the day before Mother's Day in um, 2019. Um, she fell through a spiral staircase uh, and broke her back, uh, lost two vertebra, and smashed her foot in six places, um, and crushed her sternum. Uh, and she was, you know, a doctor, um, you know, uh, fit and, and healthy. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, um, she was laid up, um, and frankly, had a near-death experience because she came within probably a fraction of a centimeter uh, from from uh, uh, cracking her neck or having some other lethal outcome. And I believe that it was God's grace uh, that allowed uh, that event to occur, but also that it wasn't for the, it wasn't for the end. Um, and, uh, you know, the Lord chastens those he loves. And uh, I do believe that there are events that we encounter that in that immediate moment, it seems terribly tragic, but in some ways it then becomes a catalyzing event uh, to become less uh, of this world uh, and and more of the eternal. And uh, that 
unfortunately did happen. Uh, and similarly, uh, my wife was the recipient of a groundless lawsuit. But there, once again, uh, the lawsuit um, uh, became part of her own sanctification journey, where she had to now review the correspondence uh, related to this disgruntled uh, former business partner uh, and, and, and see everything through the lens of the person who felt disgruntled. Uh, and, you know, uh, these things are in some ways uncomfortable, but ultimately uh, may bring us to a place of, of surrender and humility uh, and the desire uh, to love the neighbor as thyself, not because it's some abstract moral code that cannot be achievable, but because it's the best advice anybody could ever give you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a real calmness in your voice. Um, and, and a lot of people would think at where you are on the echelon of business and all the responsibility and all that hate that comes your way and all the praise, because you can also be corrupted by the praise you get. Um, it sounds to me like you mean what you say. And, and, and by that is that it's a daily surrender because if people really thought about it, they don't have anything more than today. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I view it this way. Uh, to treat everybody that comes into my path with compassion and humility. And uh, the result of doing that is you get to see people manifest their higher selves. And I get to see that over and over again. There are people that humanity has discarded. And you look at some of these people who are, say, white nationalists, as they're being called, uh, or people who even you know, manifest genocidal thoughts. Uh, I've had some fascinating interactions with people, uh, in part because of the perception that Epic will provide safe harbor for anything goes free speech. And that's not the truth. Uh, we actually will uh, talk to people uh, that others might discard, but part of the reason why we talk to them is because we believe there's an opportunity to appeal to their higher selves and because uh, a recognition of a recognition that we're all on a journey and that and the audiences that they cater to are also on a journey. So for example, uh, I did an interview uh, about um, a year and a half ago, 14 months ago. Um, and it was a, an interview with a couple of white nationalists. And I didn't really know much about them, but they you know, knew that we had stood for Gab and, and, and they uh, asked me if I would come on their, their show. And, um, they were both um, hidden, uh, but I was, uh, you know, fully on video. And uh, I proceeded to talk with them for almost two hours, um, completely unscripted. And um, these people would be um, kind of representative of the type of folks that um, uh, the liberal media would, would uh, blaspheme, so to speak, right? Would, would characterize as being... Uh, detritus, right? That the, the world should basically uh, flush them down the toilet and be done. If you can't imprison them, then exterminate them, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that, that actually is a bit of a, of, a, of a miss, right? Because in fact, um, when we approach these people from a position of compassion and humility and a desire to have a conversation about what can we learn from each other and what can history teach us, uh, that you can change hearts. Um, in the prisons, the recidivism rates are 87% over a nine-year period. Um, that's not working very well if 87% of the people you imprison are back in prison within nine years. Uh, but if you change their hearts, 
uh, and you change their purpose and allow them to find God, you might find that they go on a very different course. And that's what fascinates me about engaging people that others would have given up on. You know, just take that perspective in any arena of life. The idea that you really trust that whatever happens to you comes from God because he's sovereign, whether he's reproving you or rewarding you, sometimes that's not as easily seen. But all the things that that trouble might bring you to, the person who's trying to collect on something or the person who's angry or whatever it is, by what you said, hearing what they have to say, and then responding with your higher self, because the truth is, it's easy to fight with people. It's a lot harder to keep your ambassadorship going and saying, I represent Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I don't typically lead with that, uh, the whole Christ thing. I, I don't start with that. People know that I'm a Christian. It's not a secret in my industry. But I certainly would not lead with that. Uh, I, I absolutely uh, approach it more from the standpoint of exhibiting uh, really the seven main things that I will pray for uh, every day, uh, knowledge, wisdom, faith, courage, humility, patience, and charity, uh, believing that those characteristics are all from God. Uh, and if you ask for them, uh, then, then God will supply them. Just as Solomon asked for wisdom and knowledge uh, and was rewarded with much else, you know, those uh, sovereign attributes of, of Christ are all available to the body of Christ and you can basically fill your lamp uh, with those qualities. And whether you refer to that lamp as uh, oil or Holy Spirit uh, or by its um, attributes um, that are manifest in um, what it means to be Christ-like, um, you know, if you show those characteristics in your daily interaction with people um, and hold out for them to manifest their higher selves, um, from a position of hope, um, then indeed, uh, I believe you will see it, right? If you treat a, treat a person like a criminal, they'll show you they're a criminal. And if you treat them as somebody who has a higher self, more times than not, they'll exhibit that as well. And I see that all the time, almost every day. That's great. So you mentioned David Livingston as having had a profound influence in your life. Are there other notables you'd like to share? You know, uh, I read uh, a lot of the old um, uh, Puritan writings uh, over the course of the last um, uh, couple of years in particular. Uh, I've had um, a great appreciation uh, um, uh, for the banner of truth and their publishing works um, and uh, uh, having the opportunity to, you know, go study the old works. And I have a you know, giant library, two libraries, really. Uh, uh, but I never tire of the works of uh, John Newton um, and uh, Thomas Halliburton um, and, you know, go down the list of some of the great um, uh, Puritan writers. I think that they found something really essential, uh, which is that the, the life we choose to live uh, and, and the uh, journey of sanctification that we can choose to undertake uh, by God's grace that that opens up so many possibilities. And I think that the folks that have figured that out and have applied that in their daily walk uh, are largely what made America possible uh, going back to the 1600s and 1700s before uh, America became a constitutional republic and then before America became 
an incorporation uh, in 1871, you know, we were a Christian nation uh, governed by families who were surrendered to Christ's purpose and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So I find um, that, that the old writers are, are particularly fascinating in terms of what they all uncovered. They didn't have Netflix and they didn't have, you know, an endless supply of destructions. Their brains were not addled with uh, all manner of um, pharmacaea. And so they had the good fortune of being able to devote most of their spare time uh, when they weren't providing for their family uh, to be in scripture and in prayer. And, 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 you know, imagine if we had that ability in, um, in modern times, in 2021, and imagine if we had not only that ability, but that in fact, tens of millions of people around the world became inspired to live with that kind of lifestyle with the objective of doing kingdom work. And I think that's coming. Uh, it may already be in progress to a significant degree. And uh, the, the folks at Chelsea, Eden, who I have gotten to know, uh, I, I have uh, um, uh, a high regard for the work uh, that has been done there. So yeah, you know, kudos really um, to what I see unfolding uh, in the body of Christ with people who are uh, devoted uh, servants in the kingdom uh, who recognize the role that is available for them to play and have stepped up and pursued it with courage. And so that ties in with something that Dr. Rush Juni, who founded Chalcedon, would always say that his work in uncovering biblical law, so people knew, kind of going back to what you said, once they know the creator knows, they end up knowing what he likes and doesn't like, what he wants and he doesn't want, that reconstruction needs to happen in every area of life. And so you're bringing it and have been bringing it and others as well in the areas of technology. And when you talk about, you know, possibilities for the future, these are things that will benefit all people, not just believers, just like the Roman roads benefited everybody, but the gospel spread as travel could take place. So, can you share at all some of the things you see coming down the road that you might either be working on or others? Yeah, so uh, we're working on a lot of fascinating things. And if you go to epic, epik.com slash labs, it catalogs uh, all of the different uh, technology initiatives that we are incubating or have acquired. Um, and it's really a profound list uh, over the course of the last several years, but particularly in the last two, um, We've been able to use whatever cash flow uh, we generated from our core business to be able to fund uh, acquisitions of work and process technology and also uh, incubating from the ground up uh, organic developments that bring a sort of digital empowerment uh, and make it available as an antidote to big tech, right? So big tech right now is in the news a lot. It's being talked a little bit uh, by some of the folks on Capitol Hill uh, that have characterized it as being... Um, partisan or that it has some bias. Some would say that it's very much in the world um, and also of the world. And for those of us who choose uh, a different path, that can be a little bit troubling, right? So what's the antidote to big tech? How do we basically break out of that? And I think we're playing a meaningful role um, in uh, formulating what that looks like, right? What's the off-ramp from big tech? So that's one big theme. Uh, and then I would break it down uh, uh, in a more um, uh, entrepreneurial sense, 
we have one project in particular that uh, TechCrunch covered last Friday in a, in, a, in a news piece. And that project is called Toki, T-O-K-I.com. And the idea of Toki is that it will um, allow uh, the internet to be delivered to the nominally two plus billion people uh, who currently have no internet. Uh, we actually have built an engine, uh, a, a small server, a microserver, uh, that has the ability to take a snapshot of the internet and store it um, on $100 microservers that can serve up to 500 current users running on battery for up to two days. Uh, and, and, and in so doing, bring all manner of knowledge um, and soul-saving truth, uh, but not just through the lens of, of Christianity, but from the perspective of asking questions and seeking answers. And uh, that project is one that enthuses me greatly. Uh, and to the extent God's providence uh, manifests that would allow us to go and, and um, procure uh, these servers on a very large scale, uh, the framework is in place uh, to bring a sort of digital content community and commerce uh, to the far edges of civilized world, rough term, but you get my point. Yeah. Uh, telecom infrastructure isn't there. Um, the disposable income to buy expensive internet devices isn't there. But nevertheless, many of them have second, third, fourth generation smartphones uh, that are um, Wi-Fi enabled and therefore they have the ability uh, to download a document and, and carry it home uh, to their community. Uh, and so even to the extent that we can essentially create these uh, sort of wells, but not of water, but of knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then make that uh, uh, economy uh, self-sustaining. Um, the literal manifestation of uh, a digital currency called a toki that is earned into existence by operating the Toki server. So it's a mind-blowingly uh, ambitious project, uh, but I, 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 I'm drawn to, to do it. And it's just a fascinating project. So let's say someone who has young children and saying, you know, the future, what should I have them concentrate on? What should I have them study? Now, my audience would automatically know that the Bible would be the underpinning of whatever the child was to study, but based on your vision of the future and the things you're working on, what should people encourage their children to pursue? Well, uh, my favorite interview question um, that I'm allowed to ask because it's my company, uh, but uh, probably wouldn't uh, pass muster with certain audiences, you know, being uh, what gift did God give you, right? And so uh, I think the answer uh, to the question about what should a youth uh, uh, pursue uh, is very much deep in the, in the self-awareness of what gift did God give them. And as parents, uh, to a certain extent, we get a chance to observe that our children have different gifts. They have different dispositions. Um, they have different things that, uh, that inspire them. Uh, but, but especially we get to see the things that are easy for one and hard for another. And I think that uh, to the extent that we give uh, children and, and young adults, you know, the latitude 
to choose their path, obviously, you know, praying for them. But, you know, I don't know how many people were praying for me when I was a kid. My, my grandmother, I think, was, and, and I think maybe a few others. But uh, I, it wasn't a long list. I have a lot of people praying for me now, but it wasn't like that before. Uh, so I would say that uh, as a parent, uh, it really comes down to um, inspiring. Uh, you know, I'm not the one that has a strong sentiment towards uh, surveilling our kids uh, for everything that they do or don't do. I, I don't think uh, that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the strictest boundaries uh, necessarily develop the most courageous kids. Uh, but there is a balance, right? You know, and right. so uh, trust but verify. Uh, so I'm not a permissive parent. I wouldn't characterize it as that at all. But, you know, uh, I would say that inspiring kids uh, to figure out the thing that they are great at because God gave it to them and then encouraging them to refine that to a point of mastery uh, where they can share their gift with humanity because they're able to produce vastly more <laughs> than others <clears throat> that are in their peer group because they're blessed with this gift. And I would say I have made a career going back to, you know, many decades, even before I was uh, born again, uh, of figuring out the thing that was being developed in, say, some laboratory or in some experimental state that played to the given uh, strength or gift of that individual, uh, assembling those individuals so they were able to play to their strengths uh, and then inspiring them uh, to um, uh, celebrate each other's success, right? I mean, uh, th that capacity as a manager um, is, I think, um, the same thing that um, allows great coaches to produce great teams that win championships year after year after year. It's, it's, not, it's not rocket science, right? right. Uh, it, it just requires uh, uh, enough care and consideration to deeply understand what drives that individual and how do you array uh, those particular qualities in a, in, a, in a cohort or group that is capable of rising above itself where the, um, the group capacity is, is of a level that maybe uh, sets a new bar for uh, output and accomplishment. Right. right. You know, it's funny. I, I could translate what you said into how I often orient um, homeschooling families that I have the opportunity to mentor is that just remember all the avenues you were allowed to take and those avenues convinced you that they were the wrong avenue and you turned around. If you provide a foundation and you um, inform the conscience and the intellect of your children and you encourage them to pursue those gifts, I think a lot of things play um, to that as being a benefit and they don't have to take all those years between the time that, you know, modern culture says they're trying to find themselves. Well, you find yourself in Jesus Christ and you move on from there. And I think the future for people who go through a homeschooling situation is that they have the opportunity to make that kind of exploration. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. To the extent that um, the curriculum that is being developed by some of the ambitious kingdom-minded um, um, education initiatives, um, I'm, I'm, I'm working uh, uh, with some of the team from the Kingdom Education Fellowship, Vishal Mangawadi, and his efforts mm -hmm. uh, and what is being assembled there. And I think it's built on 
to a certain extent, uh, that foundation and the desire to kind of unleash uh, human potential, uh, but very much uh, from a position of kingdom orientation. And I, I wouldn't be surprised um, if in the very near future, again, because of the uh, policies that are being rolled out due to COVID, if we have uh, a, a surge of people participating in online education, uh, not just the initial surge from people um, uh, seeing their schools close, but maybe even a second wave from people who would choose for whatever reason uh, to not participate in mandatory vaccination programs or whatever the different unique circumstances of that uh, household and what conclusions that they have drawn, uh, that you will see many, many more people um, uh, taking advantage of some of the initiatives that have been developed over the last many decades of uh, alternative ways of uh, in, in inspiring people uh, to learn in, in a kind of Socratic way, empowered by technology, uh, where they get to uh, learn the things that they're most passionate about, while at the same time, uh, rounding it out with things that are kind of essential to be able to participate in a modern economy. And if you think about it, what happened in the first century AD was that as a result of the, the biblical perspective and the Great Commission, you had people developing educational models, um, health and wellness models, business models, guilds, things like that. And um, so maybe just maybe these opportunities now, the more dissatisfied people become, they start asking the question, well, why is that even something government should be doing? And um, the free internet will allow people to have community with, with each other, exchange ideas. So to me, this is very exciting. But I have to be honest with you, Rob, I understand about like a third of how the internet even works. <laughs> I'm just glad that God gave people on our side, as I like to say, who understand it way better than I do. Yeah. Well, uh, when it comes to the, the, the layers of the internet, um, um, there, there are uh, components that when you kind of peel back the layers of the onion and, and review each layer uh, from the perspective of what are its vulnerabilities, um, it becomes possible from a step-by-step -step approach to be able to uh, consolidate all of those layers uh, into something that is harmonious, that has uh, consistency of governance uh, and consistency of ownership. And, and to a large extent, that's what we've done. So, you know, when you look back at, you know, why all of the attention from, from, from uh, the media uh, on Epic, uh, your earlier comment, it's, it's partially because uh, the sites that we empower, they stay online. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that has been uh, obviously by God's grace, uh, but also uh, by virtue of the technology choices uh, and the various components of um, technology um, uh, assets that we've been able to assemble, right? right? It was a very interesting time to be in a position of empowering digital sovereignty on a really large scale. And that includes uh, the, the essential point that you've just referenced, which is education. Uh, if you uh, control... Uh, the narrative, and if you control uh, uh, perspective, uh, ultimately you can control uh, 
uh, policy and outcome. Um, and, and the case in point that we're, I think, dealing with right now is the state of the First Amendment and the right to free expression uh, and those who wish to take it away. And so to the extent you can take it away and control the narrative, you will, uh, in rapid sequence, uh, see other civil liberties that Americans uh, and other uh, uh, democratic republics have, have taken for granted for centuries, you know, they could rapidly collapse. Uh, and that's why, you know, it is so essential that the people who have the ability to hold the line, uh, that, that they do their level best to do so. Uh, and in our case, that has also uh, meant uh, being extremely careful about governance and ownership uh, and to whatever extent we can uh, maintain our independence uh, as, a, as a supplier uh, for the technology that empowers people to uh, um, share their truth uh, and, and provide their pieces to the puzzle. Uh, uh, every day we get to do that, I think, is another day of, of progress. Right. You know, I have the question always, okay, so there, there are places you can go like Epic to make sure that, that you're not deplatformed, but ultimately we're all talking about the internet, who owns it? And I guess my good theological answer is, of course, God owns it because he owns everything. But um, is there a entity that could shut down the internet as opposed to just deplatforming people? Well, it's a very interesting point um, and uh, one that we thought about quite a lot. Um, so we have an initiative called uh, Resilient Domains, um, and you can see it at epic.com slash resilient. Um, and it summarizes our technological approach for extreme resiliency. Um, let's say, for example, uh, that um, churches... And, and their websites were so-called null-routed, uh, where the ISPs, the Comcast of the world, decided, okay, uh, we no longer uh, like uh, these churches or any church, uh, and therefore uh, we will null-route them. Um, um, that's an extreme scenario that might sound far-fetched, but when you look at it through this, the lens of, you know, Orwellian dystopia, uh, on a Fahrenheit 451 Ray, Ray Bradbury level, mm -hmm. uh, it's not implausible <clears throat> that it would happen in the digital age. So <clears throat> the saints will do exploits. And I think that's the essential role that we all have to uh, play in these times is to envision the technology actions that could be taken by a quote unquote adversary uh, and juxtapose that against the countermeasures that might be available to us. And ultimately, you know, to the extent that you believe, as I believe, that Satan is controlled opposition, he's the corrections officer of the universe, mm -hmm. uh, uh, then to whatever extent certain websites are taken offline because of censorship, the ones that are supposed to come back online will have the benefit of the exploits by the saints that will allow those sites to come back online so that they can continue to do the work that they were supposed to do. Yeah. Why I view this project is so essential, the right. Epic Resilient Project, because it will, I believe, empower the people that need to be routed, uh, that even in the face of uh, the most draconian forms of adversity by the people who are in a position theoretically or practically to turn off certain elements of the internet, that they will still be able to punch through, uh, but it will not be 
in the old school quote unquote sneaker net uh, fashion where you're literally moving diskettes uh, you know, from location to location. Now it would be uh, SD cards or USB drives. Mm. But, uh, none of that will be required to the extent that uh, technology opens up new possibilities. I did a, I had a call yesterday uh, with a group that is doing something quite interesting. Uh, and, and it has been a topic I've been looking into for a couple of years now, uh, which is to what extent uh, unregulated frequencies like ham uh, and other uh, um, frequencies, uh, technologies uh, that God allowed, right? God, God designed the universe in such a way that ham was possible, that Wi-Fi is possible. You know, all of these things that are uh, a reflection of physical laws that God designed uh, are also in place for unconventional delivery of information. Right now, we have this mindset that says if you cannot put a cell tower in a certain location, uh, that it would therefore a priori be out of reach uh, for people in another part of the world. Uh, when in fact, we know that we can broadcast ham frequencies um, across vast distances over thousands of miles. We know that whales communicate underwater over thousands of miles. So the technology to be able to deliver a message, uh, a digital message, um, the same technology that God designed that allows uh, David to play the harp and cast out evil spirits from Saul is the same physical law that allows the transmission of data in the key of A, right? Or for example, right? You see my point? Yes, there's I do. A, there's an amazing thing that exists in sound and in light, which manifests in the form of uh, wave uh, that have you know amplitude and frequency and all this stuff that we forgot from 10th grade physics. Uh, all of that uh, know-how has the application for the ability to transmit data over distances and through matter, including walls. You know, something you just said, I can, I can see the homeschooling families out there or even the families who have their kids in, in Christian school thinking, maybe the thing about my child that drives me crazy is actually genius. The things that my child sees or considers or what ifs. So to me, it sounds like if we provide a good foundation in a biblical world and life view, understanding what God requires and what is sin and how not to sin and things like that, by the time these people with all these great ideas and maybe just a little bit different than everyone else um, will be ready to join on this really exciting technological future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, God is on the throne. He works in mysterious ways. He has a fantastic sense of humor. Uh, I've, I've experienced it. And, you know, the kid that plays way too many video games, you know, on, on the one hand, it might drive mom and dad absolutely crazy until they contemplate the possibility that that gaming community where, where, where their son, probably not their daughter, but, you know, hold out for the possibility of a gaming daughter. I don't know that many of those. Uh, uh, that the gaming community that they're interacting with is also a mission field, right? Uh, right? And most people are not thinking about that, but you you imagine the number of people who are dealing with anxiety and depression and they're anesthetizing their uh, pain uh, with uh distraction, uh, what I think a psychologist might call stimming, right? The idea that you distract yourself with uh, some repetitive exercise mm -hmm. or you self-medicate in the form of this, that, or the other. Uh, all of those people 
if, if, if left to their own devices, you know, for the next 20 or 30 years might find that they wasted their lives. On the other hand, for all we know, the 17-year-old the gaming enthusiast who, you know, spends way too many time, way too much time uh, mastering a particular uh, a video game or internet game or multiplayer, this or that, uh, may in fact have some meaningful role to play. And they need to allow for the possibility that so long as they're being productive in society and they're getting their schoolwork done and their grades are okay, uh, that, you know, the fact that they are doing this high, free, high reflex uh, game for more hours than probably should be possible, you know, it may not be completely destructive, right? It might actually be usable by God and uh, we should be cautious uh, not to completely throw that stuff out the window. Doesn't mean I'm a fan of any of those activities. I'm just saying uh, that we need to also allow for the possibility of God working in mysterious ways and that it doesn't have to be an entire curse. It might actually be useful. Right. When you equated what David did on his harp with you know, being able to transmit data. I'm sure there are people who think that way. That wouldn't be me. Um, God's given me other gifts. But I guess what I'm trying to say is as long as we start with the idea that the victory has been won and that we are blessed to be part of the, the fight, then really, if God is for us, who can be against us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Enjoy the ride. It's an adventure uh, and it all works out. Very good. Well, Rob, um, how might people, you, you mentioned going to your site. Why don't you give all the ways in which people can find out more now that they maybe have a pencil to write it down? Uh, yeah, my email, Rob, R-O-B, at epicepik.com. Uh, I also use Telegram, which is an encrypted messenger that's quite popular these days. A username, Rob Monster. Skype, Robert Monster, and phone number 425-765-0077. Uh, lots of ways to get a hold of me, and uh, I always enjoy hearing from uh, people in the body of Christ. It's uh, uh, always a pleasure uh, to, to to discover what people have been thinking about and uh, imagining new possibilities for the body of Christ uh, to walk together in the digital age. Excellent. Well, thank you again, and thank you, listeners. Join me again next time for another episode of the Out of the Question podcast. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.